Heavenly Father, we come before you and we cry, oh, that our ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. And so we ask that you would help us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us now, so that we are faithful to your decrees. We are faithfully obedient to them and live according to your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, and we've been looking at the Apostle Paul and his interaction with these people who love him dearly in Philippi. Uh, this is a missionary support letter, really, in many respects, that he's writing to those people who have been a great blessing to him over uh, his missionary work and even provided for him financially. Uh, and he's been speaking to them about the concern that they would have about his current status, which, of course, that he's in prison, he's in chains, and we looked at last time that I spoke about the fact that he is still rejoicing even in the chains that he is in because the gospel is advancing. The gospel is advancing through his preaching of the word. Uh, we see that in verse uh, 13. Uh, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's been able to preach to the, the soldiers and they've been able to understand that he is in chains for Christ. And because of his chains, uh, many of the Christians are speaking more correctly and fearlessly the word of God. We read that in verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, he then outlines that some of them are preaching out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition and trying to stir up trouble for him, but he doesn't mind. Uh, he says in verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. Paul is one who has joy in Christ's name being uh, proclaimed, regardless of the lips that it comes from. And this morning we pick up uh, the, the epistle again in verse 18, where he says that he continues to rejoice. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is, why does he continue to rejoice? He, of course, rejoices that Christ is preached. But in verse 18, the second part there, it says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Why? Well, he says in verse 19, For I know that your prayers and the help through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is rejoicing because he knows that he will be delivered, that deliverance will come to him. Now, what is this deliverance that he is speaking of in verse 19? Well, the word there can actually also be translated as salvation. And so people, as they look at this verse and you look at the commentaries, as they comment on this passage of Scripture, they're all torn as to whether he means that he'll be delivered from prison, whether his chains will be taken off and he'll be able to be set free, that he'll be saved from prison, he'll be delivered from prison, or is it that he will actually be saved eternally? That what has happened to him will lead to his salvation before a higher court, before the heavenly court. It will be eternal salvation, not temporary salvation that he's going to be uh, given. It's going to be uh, eternal salvation. Now, what is it? Well, I think realistically, he's probably torn between the two um, as to what salvation he's speaking of here. Because as you look further down in the later verses, which we'll look at in subs uh, next week, Lord willing, uh, that he seems to be torn as to whether he stays in this world and helps people or whether he will go to uh, his eternal reward in the next world. And so I'm not sure we can nail down exactly which deliverance he is speaking of here. But what we can look at this morning is how what is happening to Paul, which is his imprisonment, his suffering for the sake of the gospel, how is going to be for him a deliverance, regardless of whether it's eternal uh, deliverance or whether it's a temporal deliverance from prison? How is it that Paul 
in his sufferings is going to be delivered. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we see uh, the answer to that in verse 20. At verse 20, if you've got another translation, it may actually have the word as at the beginning of verse 20, referring to uh, what has come before. What has happened to me in verse 19 will turn out for my deliverance as I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Why is what is happening to Paul, which is this imprisonment, this persecution that he's experiencing, why is it going to work out for his salvation, whether it be eternal salvation or temporal salvation? Why is it going to work out well for him? Because Christ, he is confident that Christ will be exalted in his body, we read there in verse 20. That Christ will be magnified. That's what that Greek word actually means. That God will be, uh, that Christ will be made much of, made great in Paul's life and even in his death. What does this mean? Well, it means that as Paul is imprisoned or whatever sufferings he's going through, that he will continue to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and that will exalt Christ. He will continue to live according to Christ's ways and that, of course, will exalt Christ as he's obedient to the ways of Christ and even if he dies for Jesus, whether by life or by death, Christ will be exalted. And so he is confident that what is happening to him will turn out for his deliverance. And this also means that he is not ashamed. We see that in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He is confident that Christ will be exalted in his body, which means that he has no reason to be ashamed. You may say, well, what is the reason for him to be ashamed? Why would he be scared of being ashamed? Paul, where is Paul? He's in prison. He's in prison. And prisoners feel intense shame. That's part of the idea of being in prison. The reason they chain you up or put handcuffs on you is so that you feel the shame of being utterly helpless. If someone was to handcuff your arms behind your back, you feel humiliated because you can't really do much. Unless, of course, the handcuffs are faulty or you're really, really strong. You can't do anything. It's impossible. And so there's this shame that comes over you as people see you. If you were to be handcuffed on the street today, there'd be intense shame that would come over you, let alone if you're put into prison. And many people understand that you're in prison. The shame that would come upon you as you're ostracised from society, as you're held out of society against your will, it would be an intense shame. So why does Paul say, I will no way be ashamed In no way will I be ashamed. Well, because he knows that he is in handcuffs, he is in chains because of Christ. And who is Christ? Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so if the King of kings and Lord of lords knows that you are in chains for him, what will happen in the end? You will be exalted. As you exalt him by the suffering that you're experiencing on his behalf, he one day will exalt you. doesn't matter what an earthly court decides. It matters what the heavenly court will decide. And so Paul says, I don't need to be ashamed. I may be delivered even temporarily. That the king of kings will open the prison doors, he will take the chains off my wrists, and I will go free and continue to advance the gospel for him. But even if that happens, what does it matter? I will go before a heavenly court and the king of kings will welcome me as his friend because I have suffered in his name. 
But why is Paul so confident of this, that he will exalt Christ and he has no reason to be ashamed? The way it's described there in verse 20, it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Why does he eagerly expect? The idea there is, if you look at the the way that Greek word is made up, it's kind of this idea of an outstretched neck. He's sort of leaning forward, saying, there's no way I'll be ashamed. Christ will be exalted in my body. Why is he so hopeful here that he eagerly expects it, that he will in no way be ashamed, that he has this outstretched neck? Because when you consider it, it would be hard to bear the chains of the imprisonment and the humiliation, even for an apostle. He's still a man. Why does he have this great hope? Well, he tells us in verse 19. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Why is he so hopeful? that Christ will be exalted by his body and that he has no reason to be ashamed. Well, it's there in verse 19 that it's because of the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he have the help of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we read in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers, the prayers of the church in Philippi, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to him will turn out for his deliverance. He knows he's got the prayers of the Philippian church behind him. And what does God do in response to the church of of Philippi as they pray for Paul? He sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit invigorates Paul so that he stands there with an outstretched neck looking for his deliverance. And all the while knowing he's got nothing to be ashamed about, that Christ will be exalted through him. And so I think this is really helpful for us today uh, because we can feel ashamed of the gospel particularly if we suffer for the sake of Christ, if we suffer for affirming Jesus Christ, for speaking about the Lord Jesus, if we live according to Christ's ways, we can be ashamed because of the way people will look at us. Now, it may not be that it's a shame of imprisonment and execution, possible execution that Paul was facing, but there still is a shame that we feel as people look down upon us, as they call us names. But like Paul, we can eagerly expect And hope that even in our sufferings, those sufferings that we experience, what has happened to us, as it says there in verse 19, will work out for our deliverance. Why? Because we will have sufficient courage to exalt Christ in our body. And by exalting Christ, we won't be ashamed, but we'll glory in Christ with joy. And how will that work out for our advantage? Well... If we continue to exalt Christ, who are we exalting? We're exalting the King of kings and Lord of lords, just like Paul did so many years ago. And what does that mean? If you've got the King of kings and Lord of lords looking out for you, and you're suffering for him, what will he do for such a faithful servant? He will deliver you. He may deliver you temporarily from the situation that you're in, from the persecution that you're experiencing. But if he doesn't do that, he will at least deliver you eternally before the higher court. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is for you and you're suffering for him, who can be against you ultimately? You say, but it's hard, Joel. It's hard to stand firm. It's hard to exalt Christ. It's hard not to be ashamed. 
And, the, and it's true, isn't it? It is hard. Why is it so hard? Well, the shame that is heaped upon Christians can be very weighty, can't it? The names that people call you can be very mean. For speaking about Christ, what are we called? Well, we're called fools. We're called stupid. We're called idiots. We're called weak. Only a weak person would believe those things about Jesus Christ. We're called pathetic. We may even be called dishonest and liars. I remember going to an atheist conference. I went with a friend who was an atheist, and, uh, and part of the presentation that they gave, they were speaking about this prominent Christian in America, and at the end they said, this guy should be prosecuted for fraud. And I said to my friend, it's only fraud if he actually knows that what he is teaching is false. If he believes it's true, then you can't accuse him of fraud. But that's what people say about us as Christians. They'll say, you know it's actually not true and you're just in it for what you can get out of it. You're just a Christian for what you can get. And so they call us dishonest and they call us fraudulent. And then if we live according to his ways, if we live according to the righteous laws of God, what are we called? Well, we're often called haters and bigots and intolerant and sexist and homophobic, homophobic and transphobic and murderers even these days. Because of what you say and the way that you live, you can cause other people to commit suicide. And so you're murderers. You're self-righteous. You're hypocrites. You're nasty. You're horrible. You're disgusting. You're offensive. And this is a weight that comes upon us for speaking about Christ and for living according to Christ's ways. And that's just what people will say. The weight of physical persecution, isn't that even greater? And some of our brothers and sisters around the world know that, what it is to have their possessions stolen from them because of Christ. They know what it is to be imprisoned. They know what it is to be condemned to die, as the Apostle Paul was facing so many years ago. That's a big weight to have upon you. You can see how shame would come across you and that you would consider not exalting Christ with your body. And why else is it so hard to be courageous? Well, it's because we often can't stop the persecution. You see Paul there, I'm sure if he was able to break the chains and go away, he would have. Like Peter was let out of a prison, he didn't say no thank you. He's quite happy to take it. But we can't do that often. We can't stop the people who are insulting us and heaping shame upon us. And people around us can't stop it either. They may like to. Our government may even want to stop the persecution. But they can't because of the weight of the population against the Christians. Your family may want to stop it. Your employer may want to stop it. Or they may not. And so there's a helplessness. And so there's a shame that comes across us for exalting Christ. So how can we hold our heads high and continue to exalt Christ even as the shame is put upon us by those around us? How can we stand firm and not collapse on the floor as we're insulted because we follow Christ Jesus? Well, it's only by the help that comes from the Spirit. That's what we read in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance as I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. It's by the help of the Spirit. This word that's used, uh, that's translated help there, 
It's also used in another part of the Bible, Ephesians 4, verse 16, uh, to describe how ligaments or joints hold the body together. In Ephesians 4, verse 16, we read, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting, that's that same Greek word that's used, uh, that's translated as help in verse 19 of Philippians 1, that the whole body joined and held together by every supporting or helping ligament, or you can translate that word as joint, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's the kind of support that the, the Holy Spirit gives? It's like this ligament or joint that keeps the body in place. And when you think about the human body, what does hold it all together? What holds the, the bones together when you stand up so you don't collapse in the floor or so that bones don't start sticking out of your skin? Your skin doesn't hold it all together. Bones will soon pop out. It's the joints that hold them in place and lock them in place. You can feel your joints lock sometimes in place. And it's also the ligaments that hold your joints, uh, your joints and your bones in place. So don't stick out through the skin or you fall on the floor. Now think about someone who is ashamed. Someone who's really ashamed. Doesn't even their whole body posture change? The head sinks down. The chest comes over. The knees go weak. Go to the floor. Eventually it can even go flat on your face. Now you don't believe me? Well think about if your deepest and darkest sins were splashed on the page of the newspaper tomorrow, and you find out by walking to a newsagent and seeing it there, in bold headlines there, your deepest, darkest sins. Now, what would your body posture be like in the newsagents? I think some of us would collapse, or at least hang our heads and try, trying to take in what it means that the world now knows your sin. That's what it is to be ashamed. Our body even responds. So then how are we to stand firm without shame? How can we stand upright and firm? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's only by the Holy Spirit's help. What does the Holy Spirit do? He helps us like joints and ligaments so that we don't collapse in a mess of gooey flesh when persecuted by even the smallest of insults. Think of the Apostle Peter. A servant girl says to big brave Peter, Weren't you one of his? The shame, the fear overwhelms him and he says, no. That's us. Without the Holy Spirit, little girl says, are you a Christian? Oh, no. If we're without the Holy Spirit, we'd give in every time. But with the Holy Spirit, we can stand up firm to the most intense of persecutions. And you see it through church history. People who hold their heads high and exalt Christ with their body, even in life and death, because the Holy Spirit is with them, like a ligament, like joints, holding them up firm so that they exalt Christ. Even when they're called nasty names, lose their possessions, imprisoned, condemned to death, they are continued to be emboldened by the Holy Spirit that the King of Kings loves them and is aware of what is happening to them for his sake. So, of course, he will look after them. But you say, but how can I get the Holy Spirit's help? I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to say these words about myself. 
I want to continue to rejoice knowing that what is happening to me will turn out for my deliverance as I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. I want those verses to describe me as they described the Apostle Paul so many years ago. But doesn't the Holy Spirit move wherever he chooses? Isn't he like the wind? You can't predict where he's going or where he's come from. How, Joel, do I stand firm and exalt Christ and am in no way ashamed when the slightest persecution comes along? How can I have the Holy Spirit bear me up like a strong ligament or a strong joint that locks me in place so I do not bow my head in shame? Well, why was the Apostle Paul so confident? The Holy Spirit, yes. But what else was mentioned in verse 19? Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, as I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Why was the Apostle Paul so confident that he eagerly strained out his neck to see the deliverance that was to come to him. It was because people prayed for Paul. So the Holy Spirit acted in response to their prayers and locked him in place so that he was not ashamed. Paul was not so big a man that he didn't need the prayers of his disciples. What is behind every great Christian? The prayers of many people. Why do I stand here today and continue to affirm the name of Jesus Christ? Despite the insults that have come over the years, the ideas that pop up in my mind because of Satan, that want me to back down, to shrink back, and not affirm the name of Jesus Christ. If you consider me a good pastor, a good preacher of Christ, why am I a good preacher of Christ Jesus, a great herald of him? Well, a big reason is the prayers of many. You say the prayers of who? Well, prayers of my parents. Prayers of my wife. Prayers of my kids. I think they get a bit sick of me at the dinner table. They ask, what, is my, what, what would you like me to pray for you, Daddy, tonight around at family worship? And pretty much at least a few times a week, it's for the preaching of the word on Sunday. Pray that I have something helpful to say to people that affirm Christ Jesus. Prayers of my kids. And the prayers of some of you for over 10 years. You've been praying for me diligently, week after week. And some of you have been gathering to pray immediately before the service and every week before the service at our little prayer meeting at quarter to 10. Someone, at least one person, prays for me that I will herald Christ Jesus today, that I will speak about the Lord Jesus and that I will not be ashamed, but will have courage. There's always been someone. There was one Sunday where <laughs> uh, a certain family that's always very supportive was away at another church, and I, was, I walked into the room and I was alone. And so I went back out and asked someone, invited, I basically begged the person, I said, I don't want to pray alone in here, could you come in and pray with me? The person said, oh yes, I wouldn't want you to be alone. And that person came in and they prayed for me. I'm thankful for that prayer meeting before the service. Because I'm not Apostle Paul. 
He needed prayer. I need prayer as well. The prayers of many people are like a crowd of people urging an athlete to stand firm. Stand firm. Hold in place. As we pray for a Christian, we urge the spirit inside him to hold him upright and unashamed for Christ Jesus. And what happens? Well, in his mercy, and it's all by his grace and mercy, he hears the prayers of such people and graciously upholds the person so that Christ is exalted in their body. So do we want to continue to rejoice, knowing that what is happening to us, whatever persecution, whatever pain we're going through, will turn out for our deliverance as we eagerly expect and hope that we will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in our bodies, whether by life or by death? Do we want that? Well, then we need to pray. We need to pray ourselves, and we need to get others to pray for us. But where can you get people to pray for you? Where can you get people to pray that the Holy Spirit would hold you in place firmly so that Christ is exalted by your life? Well, the best place is a local church, isn't it? The best place to find Christians is at a local church. Why? Because you'll meet Christians there who will begin praying for you as they come into contact with you. And as the elders meet you in the church, they will start praying for you as well. If you visit just once at Dremoyne Baptist, you do get on my radar. Get on my radar in other ways too, but if you visit once, you do get on my radar. I'll pray for you at least for a time. And if you become a member, the other members will start praying for you regularly in a way that they wouldn't before. How, how does this happen? Well, they have more contact with you, of course. They see you affirm Christ Jesus, and so they pray for you. And we even encourage it by having a very clearly defined membership so we know who are those who are affirming Christ. Sometimes people attend churches for years and they're not affirming Christ at all. We have a clearly defined membership and then we have the prayer directory. We have a prayer directory which has the photos of everybody in the church as a member, the contact details. We encourage people to pray through that. As you're praying for those people, they will continue to stand firm then by the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you can get people to pray for you at prayer meetings. Come along, raise a prayer point, or just pray yourself for yourself. And of course, the people will pray with you as they hear you pray and they'll say amen at the end. And it goes up to the Holy Spirit so that he then honours such prayers by helping you to stand firm. And you will see yourself with joyful courage, exalting Christ Jesus in speech, in action, even in death. Even the most severe trials can come along. If you've got a crowd of Christians praying for you, you can stand firm and exalt Christ. And you will know that the Spirit, or you know, the Spirit of Christ, or Christ God the Father, they will deliver you because they reign over all. It may be that they deliver you temporarily from whatever persecution you're experiencing. Or it may be that you're delivered simply eternally. That you're called before a higher court. But you have no reason to be ashamed. As Isaiah 45 verse 17 says, as we heard before, but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. There's no need for a Christian to be ashamed because Christ is looking out for them. And we can sing Watts' hymn, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. Maintain the honour of his word, the glory of his cross. 
Jesus, my God, I know his name. His name is all my trust. Nor will he put my soul to shame, nor let my hope be lost. Firm as his throne, his promise stands, and he can well secure what I've committed to his hands till the decisive hour. Then will he own my worthless name? He will own my worthless name before his father's face and in the new Jerusalem appoint my soul a place. A Christian can sing that, that they have no reason to be ashamed to own their Lord because they know he is not ashamed to own them even as they own him. So do you value the prayers of others? Do you value the prayers of others? Paul did. Paul wasn't so great that he didn't think he needed people's prayers. Are you so foolish to think that you don't need supporting ligaments? You don't need the Holy Spirit spurred on by the prayers of others to hold you in place? Feel your weakness. Know your weakness. How easily you'll collapse under persecution. And allow that to drive you to get people to pray for you. To get people behind you in prayer. Why? Because then you will be strong. Then you'll be strong in the Spirit's power rather than your own power, which is weak. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I am strong. When I'm conscious of my weakness, then I am strong. And it's the same for us. We need people to pray for us. And then we will not be ashamed. But there is a reason to be ashamed, isn't there? There is a reason to be ashamed if you're not trusting in Christ Jesus at all. I've spoken a lot today about we don't need to be ashamed. But if you're not trusting in Christ Jesus, if you haven't owned Christ Jesus as your Lord, then you should be ashamed. Now, you may not be ashamed right now because no one's calling you horrible names. No one's hurting you physically. But you will be ashamed one day, even if you're not ashamed now. When will that be? Well, it'll be when you pass from this world into the next. You'll be shamed for all of eternity. Why? You'll be deprived of all that you have and you'll be there in utter weakness and punished for eternity in hell. The persecution, the shame that is heaped upon Christians in this world is nothing compared to those who are in hell. It's nothing. The insults, the physical pain that can be caused to a Christian in this world, it's nothing in comparison to the the pain that is in hell for those who are outside of Christ Jesus. Sounds harsh? Why would God punish people for eternity in hell? Well, it's such a great sin to exalt yourself, which is what you're doing with your life if you're outside of Christ, rather than your creator. That's what you're doing. You're exalting yourself, the creature, instead of the creator. Terrible blasphemy that deserves terrible punishment. If that is you, what do I advise? Well, be ashamed of your sin now. Feel the shame of your sin against God. Against him and him only have you sinned ultimately. Feel the shame and find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Find forgiveness in him and his work at the cross, that he was punished in your place. Trust that that happened for you. And then begin to rejoice in Jesus. 
and never be ashamed of him, but exalt your saviour with your life and get others praying around you so that you see the spirit working in you like ligaments and joints so that you stand joyful and unashamed of Christ Jesus. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's come to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we exalt you as the King of Kings, but we must confess that we have been ashamed of you and have not exalted you as we should. We come to you now in prayer and ask that you would help us by your spirit to have sufficient courage to exalt you, whether by life or by death, so that no matter what happens to us, it will turn out for our deliverance and your glory. And Lord, if there are any here this morning who do not trust in you, who are still exalting themselves rather than exalting you, oh Lord, we pray that they'd be ashamed of their sin and begin to exalt you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.